I've been looking forward to this day for a little while because we're back in the book of James. And, uh, you know, it's easy for me because uh, I know what I have to do next week. So I already know next week what my sermon needs to be on and I can start thinking about it as opposed to uh, trying to discern week by week what we're to preach on. And so we're going through the book of James. And uh, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to uh, James chapter 1. I want to read, uh, just pick up a little bit of uh, where we've been to give us a, uh, some of the context, and then we can uh, take off from where our text is this morning. So let's pick up at uh, verse 18. Of his own will, that's God, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, but not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Father, this is a real critical juncture in the book of James. It's a real critical juncture in our lives, our relationship with your word. We could go through scripture and demonstrate again and again how this word is unique, how this word is not simply the record of men's thoughts, but it is in fact your thoughts and your words recorded for us, how it is a living book, it is unique amongst any other written material that exists in this world today. It is living because there's a quality to it that no other book has because it reflects the living God. And we are to have a relationship with this book, to have a companionship with this book, one that is characterized by doing what this book says and by living according to its standards. It's not easy. And this is a critical juncture again in James's book and it may be important for us to hear this again this morning. So help us as we gather around your word together. Make the book live, I pray. Make us live through the word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been on a, a journey for a while um, through the book of James. Uh, a couple of months so far in the book, and James is mapping out to us the Christian life. He's setting uh, forward to us what it looks like to live between our salvation and our glorification, uh, that space between when we become a child of God and we're made new, and that day when we either die or Christ comes back. That time period is the period known as the time in which we are sanctified. It's a theological word. You find it everywhere in the, in the Bible, but it's a, it's a word that describes our being transformed into the likeness and image of God. And so that's what James is about. James wants us to understand that process and to realize what it looks like to walk in sanctification or to be sanctified in our lives. And the critical, one of the critical pieces of that is the Word of God. 
And James began by describing trials and temptations, two sides of the single coin. Um, but our ability to, to either endure in trials or resist temptation is intimately tied to a work that God does in us, which is called the work of regeneration. Another biblical word, but uh, it's a work where God takes we who are dead in our sins and trespasses, we who want nothing to do with God, and by his, the power of his word, he makes us new. The very same word in which God spoke this world into existence, he speaks life in us. And so we begin to be new creatures from the very um, minutest cell level from our DNA to the fullness of our human existence and our spiritual existence. We are being made new to the day in which we will be made perfect body and soul. And that is why we are able to endure trials. And as we endure them and come out the other side, we live as opposed to face temptations where we fail and die. We are able to handle them because we have been made new by God. And it's the word of God that he speaks to us. So James has introduced us to the word of God. Uh, a couple of weeks before Christmas, we ended by spending a, a few minutes in verses 19 to 21, where we talked about then our response to the word of God. God has spoken and, and he has created new life into us by his word. And now we are to have a relationship with that word or a companionship with that word, so to speak. And so one of the things that is supposed to characterize this is our attitude towards the Word of God. That as God speaks to us, we have to be very careful that our response is not a rebellious, angry response back to God. That's why it says we need to be um, quick to, um, what's it say? Help me out. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Thank you. You guys are good. You're on top of your game. And that's our attitude to the Word of God. Why? Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I just want to say that James is introducing us here to um, a, a practical righteousness. The Bible talks about what we call imputed righteousness, which is where, where through justification, oh, sorry for the big words, but they're Bible words, and we've got to learn them as the people of God. Justification is an act of God whereby he declares something to be true of us, where he declares that we are perfect, righteous before him as he sees his son. That is imputive righteousness. James talks about practical righteousness, though, whereas the process whereby more and more and more we walk in the righteousness that God has set forward for us. And so when Jesus was baptized, he was walking in righteousness. And so James says here that as we respond to the word of God with this, this gentle attitude, with this humble attitude, it produces in us um, uh, the salvation of our souls. It works in us our, our sanctification. He says, you need to receive that word with humility, with humbleness, with meekness. In other words, when we read the Bible or when God speaks to us through the sermon or through, through somebody else who shares the word to us, we need to be careful to check our attitudes and not rail against that word, but to humbly receive it and say, is there something in this that I need to hear? But there's one more step that James says is really critical in this process. And that is the process of doing the word. You see, he wants to, to, to drill in us the importance of hearing the word, but that's, we can't stop at hearing the word. And so this is where James wants to lay out before us his main concern, which will in fact feed us through the rest of the book of James, which is sort of what is the background of James as he writes now the rest of the book of James. And if you, you can find that in verse 22. This is his concern. He says, 
but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Hearers only. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever sort of examined yourself and, and said, am I a hearer only? This is not a judgment. This is a reflection of my own heart as I come to the Word of God sometimes, and, and it, may, it may ring true to you, but sometimes before the benediction is even pronounced, the, the songs have been done, the prayer has been read, the sermon is it's still just kind of echoing off the walls, and before the benediction, oh, I wonder what the score is of the, of the hockey game. I hope my recorder went on. You know, we got to get for lunch. I hope there's not a big lineup when we get to, to lunch because, man, I don't want to stand there for 20 minutes. I can't wait to get out of this place. I, I, I just can't wait to just get back to my car and I got other stuff that I need to do. And, and we've heard the word, but we've only heard it. We've not stopped and before we've left, maybe taken 30 seconds and just, hmm. We... We have Bible reading plans, many of us. This is the start of the year. I've talked to a number of you that have decided you're going to try and read through a portion of the Bible or all the Bible. That's a really good thing, but it's also a really dangerous thing because we get into checking the boxes. And so, oh, I've, I, I, I'm, it's, it's, what's the date today? Genesis, or Genesis 12. Um, <laughs> see, there you go. I've got these boxes. It's January 12th, right? So we've got 12 boxes ticked off. And I don't really know what I've read, but I know I've got 12 boxes ticked off. And so we read to tick off boxes. We're a hearer of the word, but we've not sat back if we've been reading it and say, God, is there something that you want to teach me about yourself? Is there something that you're trying to tap on my heart about? Is there something that you, you want me to hear as I've read through this word? And you know what? I don't care if I get all through Genesis 12. I got stuck on Genesis 1 and 2, God, because you're speaking to my heart. Got the parable of the sower and the seed. We're really familiar with that, aren't we? You can find it in three of the Gospels. It's about hearing the word of God. And you have the, the first uh, uh, example of the seed that is cast and it falls on hard ground. And as Jesus explains, he says, well, Satan immediately comes along and takes the seed away. And that happens to us. You know, we're, we've read the scripture. I'm speaking and all of a sudden your phone vibrates in your pocket. Nobody else knows that, but your, your, your leg is going like this. And all of a sudden, whatever's been said is gone. Who's calling me? I wonder who that is. Oh, I need to check because it could be important. I've been waiting for this call. And before you know it, the words are just... Poosh. Sometimes it's the way we dress up here. Sometimes I wear a suit, and some people like that. Sometimes I wear a suit, and people hate that. So today I wore a sweater. But, but that can be a distraction for people. And so Satan comes along, and poosh, the word's gone. Heard it, but it's not made any progress. Or Jesus talks about... A second type of hero who hears the word of God and receive it with joy. Boy, that sounds great. I love that. Wow, I've never heard that kind of thing before. And then they go home for dinner with their family and they tell me, I was at this church and we heard this, this stuff and they kind of look at you, you were at church? And you go to work and you, you might say the same thing or school and really, like, there's the nut bars that go there. You don't want to be associated. And before you know, yeah, you're right. I don't want to go back there. And already the weight of the persecution of that, in the, the word of God, you've heard it, it's gone. And Jesus talks about a whole other category. He says they hear the word of God. But he, said, he uses the language, the cares of the world come and entangle it. You know what the cares of the world, don't you? We, we all face them. 
it might be the pleasures of the world, it might be the lusts of the world, it's the cares of the world, you know, I, I gotta keep my job, I gotta go to school, I gotta fix the house, I gotta get a car, uh, I wanna go here for holidays, I wanna buy that, that, that new set of books, and, and before you know it, the, the word of God is just crowded out. And Jesus said there's a fourth here, though they're the ones that hear the word accepted and it bears fruit. So it's a parable that is about hearing the word and the danger of being hearers only. I was listening to this text by my favorite preacher, Alistair Begg, one of my favorite preachers, actually. And he uses the language, as he describes this, of being charmed but not changed. You ever find yourself being charmed by the word of God? Wow, that, that is the best preacher I've ever heard. I'm going to download all his podcasts and go on a road trip, and all you do is listen because they've got a sweet Scottish accent. Or, you know, you've never heard anybody talk like that. And, and Alistair Begg points us to John the Baptist, who would often come before Herod and speak to Herod. And it said, Herod never changed, but he used to enjoy listening to John. Charmed by the word of God, but not changed by the word of God. That's what James is concerned about here. He's concerned that we, that, that we fall into that trap that all I need to do is hear the word of God, but I'm not worried about being changed by the word of God. There is a great danger. And this is why we, we, we always think that we need to present the gospel even when you're gathered here. Because the longer you are charmed by the word of God without being changed by the word of God, the harder your heart becomes. And you still need the gospel. You still need that opportunity where all of a sudden the spirit just smashes the hardness of your heart and reveals the love of Christ, and you're saved. But there's a real danger in going down this path of hearing, but never obeying the word. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, um, deceiving yourselves. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Am I being deceived? As I, I hear the word all the time, but I'm never changed. And uh, Do you see the self-deception in that? I, I kind of, and this might be a little bit repetitive, but I, I went through some of these self-deceptions in my own heart and life, attending church. Of course I attend church. I hear the word all the time. It, it's changing me. It's transforming me. It's a, it's a great thing. Or we might say, well, I read my Bible all the time, and reading my Bible makes me spiritual. I've got, I've got a plan, of course, and I, this is part of my life. Or preaching and teaching makes me spiritual. But Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See that? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, on the last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We might think associating with people who also are hearers of the word uh, is enough. Jesus talks about a group of people that came to him and said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside. And Jesus is responsible, well, who is my mother and my, who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven, that person is my brother or sister. And so we deceive ourselves by saying obedience doesn't matter. We deceive ourselves by saying, I download three podcasts a week. That's got to count for something. 
James is concerned that we not be hearers only, but that we be doers of our word. And then he uses an illustration, a um, fascinating illustration. He talks about mirrors, and uh, a physical mirror, and he, 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 he illustrates the deception uh, to try and say what it's like to be a hearer but not a doer. It's really difficult, is it not, for us to imagine a world without mirrors? I mean, mirrors are everywhere in the world in which we live today. They're in our homes, uh, they're in our cars, uh, they're in our purses. Um, we can take selfies of ourselves. And, you know, sometimes you see people, they reverse their phones and then they're checking stuff out on their, on their face. Most people have a love-hate relationship with mirrors. But we have them all over the place. Think about the reason you spend hours in front of a mirror. Shaving, popping, plucking, cleaning, grilling, gelling. First the front view, then the side view, then the back view. You know, you get another mirror. Kath and I were away this past weekend. Um, she had a really milestone birthday, that's all I'll say. And uh, so we went down to Victoria, had a wonderful time. We had a, a wiener roast at Goldstream Park with about 35 of our family, and it was just wonderful. Um, but we stayed a night in a hotel, and I went into the washroom and saw this round thing on the wall, and I pulled it out. It's a mirror. And I looked at it, and I, I, I couldn't find my nose. It magnifies everything. Eh? So I'm looking, oh, there it is. And then I thought, I looked at it, there's a switch, and, I turned, and a light came on. I thought, oh, this is really great. So I got a magnifying mirror with a light. But of course, it's so that you can get a better look at yourself and see what's going on in your face. And uh, so I suspect that probably every one of you here spent some time before a mirror this morning, and we're glad you did. But we did, right? We all spent time before a mirror. And the point of doing that, though, is so that if you see something in your teeth or you see hairs that are out of place or whatnot, you fix them. You cover them up. You, you do what you need to do so that the blemish or the mark is there, or is taken away. And this is James' point, I think. It would be really odd if we were to spend time in front of a mirror and not do anything about what we see. To kind of look in a mirror and say, oh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, and then just walk away and forget what we've seen and not do anything about it. It would be odd, would it not? The reason you look in a mirror is to fix something or to make sure everything is in place. And so just as it would be odd in the physical world to do such a thing, so also it would be odd in the spiritual world to get a glimpse of yourself and then walk away and not do anything about it. And that is James's point. That we need to be those that hear the word of God and then as it puts its finger on stuff or as it reveals stuff to us, then we act to it, we respond to it. We don't just walk away and say, oh, okay, and off we go with our life. To do that is to be dangerously self-deceived. To think that what you've heard is wonderful, but not to respond to it with obedience is a terrible spiritual deception. As one said, to hear the word without obeying it is to make a serious miscalculation. It's self-delusion of the greatest magnitude. And that is what James wants us to grasp as we work our way through the rest of his book. So he uses this illustration of a physical mirror to point out the absurdity of looking at ourselves and then not doing anything about what we see. And so as there's a 
physical mirror, there's a spiritual mirror. And we've already been alluding to that very clearly. The spiritual mirror is the Word of God. And we're to keep our heads in that book. If it's reasonable to assume that as we see our physical body in a mirror, we make changes, then it ought to be also reasonable for us to assume that there is a spiritual mirror whereby which our soul is reflected and we are to respond to that reflection of our soul. And that mirror is the Word of God. I'm not sure why many translations don't emphasize the strength of the word that is used here. In other words, in verse uh, 25, it says there, if he looks at himself, in, or sorry, in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, it really should be, again, the one who looks intently. That's the, that's the translation of the word. It's more intense than even somebody who looks in a mirror. And it's this notion, it's the same word that's used when Peter comes to the tomb after the resurrection and Mary said, hey, he's risen. And John and Peter run to the tomb and, and it says that Peter stooped and looked. He didn't just stand outside. That's the same word that's used here. It's also the same word that's used to describe the, um, the desire of the angels who long to see the things that the prophets wrote about. They, they want to look intently into the gospel but it's not been revealed to them. And that's the word that's used here. And so we are to be those who are characterized by looking intently into the word of God. And notice how he describes it. Very clear language. He says the perfect law, the law of liberty. Those are words that describe the word of God. The perfect law and the law of liberty. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the law of God, which, by the way, as we become a Christian, it is written in our hearts and lives. Jeremiah tells us that thing. And it's certainly a law that we are to obey. But James describes it as the perfect law. You go to Psalm chapter 19, or Psalm 19, verse 9, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. How is the law of the Lord perfect? The law of the Lord is perfect because it's complete. Because it's whole because it's sound, because it's, we have before there the entire desire of God for us. But it's more than that. The, the reason it's perfect becomes it come, because it comes from a perfect God. You see, God doesn't give us a law that is outside of his character or outside of who he is. The law is a, a reflection of his perfection. It's a reflection of his nature. It's a reflection of what guides him and of what directs him and of what frames his thinking. And so when we read that the law of the Lord is perfect, it's perfect because it's delivered to us by a perfect God or a perfect Father. It reveals his nature perfectly. But it's also perfect because it's perfect for us. It's how God has intended us to live. Those of us who have been created in his image, which is all of us, we have been created to be guided this way, to be directed this way, and we find the, the fullest form of living, the fullest form of life in us when we live according to the perfect law of God. It's not something that's meant to be a something that we're not. The law is meant to pull out of us what God has always intended for us to be. And that's why it's called the perfect law. Because it reflects our Father perfectly, and it reflects our nature and our likeness of our Father perfectly. 
I know it doesn't always feel like that because we're still sinful and we still have the flesh in us and we still have the taunting of the devil who says, no, as God really said, or God really doesn't know what he's doing. And so we, we mistrust the perfection of the law in our hearts and lives. But we, it's helpful at least to understand this part of our relationship with the law. Do you know that we, we, we don't keep the law to get into God's good book? Do you know that? I hope you understand that. We do not keep the law to get into God's good books. We are not accepted by God because we keep the law, because we obey God. We are accepted by God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf and that alone. And we have to understand that distinction. And that's what we find in the, in the, in the Old Testament when the children of Israel are bought out of uh, of Egypt as God is describing to them the giving of the law. He, he says to, them, to to his redeemed, those who have already been saved by God, those who have already been delivered by God, those who are already accepted by God, he says, now this is how I want you to live. And so the, 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 the means of the redemption was the blood of the Lamb. And the law is not their means of salvation. That's already taken place. Rather, it's the lifestyle that God wants them to live. It outlines for them the boundaries in which they will find the most health and the most happiness and the most joy. It's the way that God wants his redeemed children to live in blessing and freedom. I know this is hard for us to grasp. It's hard for children to grasp in their homes. Because often the parents' boundaries or the parents' guidelines are seen as restricting as, and as constricting to the kids. And, you know, if we can say this, parents know more than the kids. I, I hope you kids know that. Your parents are pretty smart. And God, by the way, has made them the authorities over you and has given them a responsibility to set the guidelines for your life and the boundaries for your life. And they, they do it not to be harsh on you, not to be mean to you, not to sort of set out this pattern of miserable living to you, but they do it to help you walk and live in freedom and in joy and in ways that preserve your health, your mental health, and your emotional health, and your spiritual health, and your physical health, they're good for you. And in a much grander way, our Creator has designed the perfect way for us to live, which is outlined in His law for us. And that's where we find that we become who we're truly intended to be. Biblical obedience is not about keeping an arbitrary set of rules. It's about living in accordance with our design. In harmony with our maker. Because he wants us to flourish. He restricts us in order to truly free us. He prohibits us to drive us to what is good. He lays boundaries with hands of love. There is incredible liberty in walking within the freedom of God's law. You see, that's what he says here. Do you notice that? He says, not only is it the perfect law, but it's the law of liberty. Do we understand that in life? Do we understand that, that freedom is not found in no boundaries? Freedom is found in knowing the boundaries and living within them. In fullness and in wholeness and in happiness and in safety. Years ago, I took a course on Proverbs with um, Dr. Bruce Waltke. And 
uh, he made a point that has stuck with me for years, and, and I've thought about it and developed it and worked it out in my own life a little bit more, but he, he talked about this notion that freedom comes within boundaries. True freedom is found within boundaries. For instance, he used the example of sexual freedom. He said that true sexual freedom is found within the boundaries of marriage and marriage alone. Marriage between a husband and wife. That is, God has designed those boundaries and within them there is incredible freedom for a man and a woman. But outside of those boundaries into sexual immorality of all kinds is pain and hurt and, and, and uh, uh, relational trauma and physical pain and hurt. Outside of the boundaries that God has set, there is not freedom. There is hurt. Inside the boundaries of marriage between a man and woman, there is wonderful freedom. Maybe to use an example that might be more meaningful or helpful. Think about music. Um, you know, we, we have incredible musicians that play here, and some of you might be uh, involved in music. And there is a reason why you have different chords and different keys. And, and sometimes, have you ever heard somebody, somebody sit down at the piano and just, just hammer keys? And it, they might be free to play whatever they want, but it just, it's so hard on your ears. As opposed to somebody who understands the different keys and different chord structures and progressions. They, they understand the, the boundaries of musical scores that, devoun, that, that define the boundaries of great musical comp compositions. And if you've ever heard somebody who's so well trained in music sit down at a piano and pray, and the freedom through which they express music is mind-blowing. Freedom within boundaries. They understand the parameters of what makes for good music. And they produce stuff that is just mind-blowing. So it's a lie to say that true freedom means living with no boundaries. But it's rather boundaries that release us to live in true freedom. And so that's why James describes the law of God as the perfect law the law of liberty. It's perfect because it comes from a perfect God and it's made for us perfectly to fit our recreated natures. And it's the law of freedom because as we walk in that law or walk in that way, we experience freedom that those outside of the law have no knowledge of whatsoever. So come back real quickly. Our response to the word of God or our we learned about the attitudes to the word of God in verses 19 and 20. Verses 22 to 25 talk about our response to the word of God. We are to be those that peer into it, look intently into it. It doesn't mean we just get our heads close to it, but we, we look at it and, and we wrestle it around in our hearts. I've been reading this amazing book, um, short little book. I've reread sections of it already. And it's um, nine attitudes, uh, hard attitudes, to approaching the Word of God. It's such a beautiful book, and it, it talks about how we come to the Word of God with a focus, with a, a mindset, a discipline that says, I want to study it, I want to learn from it. And so we look intently into the Word of God as we come to it. You know what? I say this carefully. Who cares if you read the whole Bible this year? What matters is if you start reading it and you're stopped by the Spirit of God, and, wow, I never thought of that. Man, I've got a terrible temper. And this is addressing, it's hitting me, it's hurting me. And God, we've got to work this through. And so all of a sudden you start off with a study on temper and anger in the Bible. 
And that week, your life is different because of that. That is so much better than reading and ignoring and ticking off a box. So we peer into it. We persevere in it. He says, and abides in it. He says, the, the, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres into it, abides in it, sticks with it, cultivates a, a humble heart before it, receives the word that's planted in us. We listen to it. We resist the urge to argue back. We don't become angry at God at his commands. We, we hang in there. We stay. We don't close it because it's saying something we don't like. We pay attention to it. This is another thing he says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. You see, what he's talking about is a deliberate act of forgetting. It's not sort of, oh, I've just got amnesia. The forgetting that he's talked about is a deliberate forgetting. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to think on that. I don't want anything to do with that. Um, I'm going to close my Bible. But he pays attention to it, practices it. This is, the, this is the key piece that James is about. Practices it. This is what is important in your life and in my life. It's to allow the word of God to change us. To change our attitudes. To change our actions. To change our behaviors. This is what James is all about now for the next three, four chapters in the Bible. It's about becoming doers of the word of God. What's the upside? Do you see the upside in this? Did you see it in your text? He will be discouraged in his doing. Is that what your Bible says? No. He will be blessed in his doing. This is, the, this is the second beatitude already in James. Blessed are the ones who endure trials. Blessed is the one who does the word of God. It's a reality that there is incredible happiness that comes to us as God works in us and his spirit works in us to transform us into men and women, boys and girls who are obedient to the word of God, there is a, there is a joy, a, a deep-seated joy that comes from walking in the freedom that God has set out for us. Do you consider obedience a blessing? Or do you think of it as a burden? Do you come to the word of God and it challenges you in a behavior and you oh, there we go again. God is always thumping on me. Or you say, wow, God, thank you for pointing that out to me. Will you help me have a joyful response to your word? Because I, I want to obey joyfully, Father. We should, because obedience is the gateway to a blessed life. Let me read a few scriptures, and we won't get through them all, and some I may comment on them, some I may not, but I, I just want to illustrate this. As we come into a new year, what a, what a great emphasis to have. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 to 13 and now israel what does the lord your god require of you but to fear the lord your god to walk in all his ways to love him to serve him to to serve the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the lord which i'm commanding you today for your good laid out five things there i don't know if you caught them i probably read them quickly but to fear the lord to walk in his ways to love him to serve him and to keep his commandments but did you catch the very last phrase of that? That I am commanding you today for your good. It's good to obey. It's good to realize that we ought not to steal. It's good to realize that we ought not to speed. It's good to realize that we ought not to covenant covet. There is a blessing that comes as we shape our lives after our Heavenly Father. Another place, Leviticus 
If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord your God. You will find life, an abundance of life, a fulfilled life, a joyful life. Psalm, Psalm 19 verse 9 uh, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warm, warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Have you found that to be true in your life? Great reward. The very, at the very least, the reward is a clean conscience is absence of shame and guilt. But there's also just great reward of walking in joy and walking the way that God has designed your mind and your heart to, to live and be shaped and be formed. Psalm 119, verse 45. I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. Not a constricting place. Not a, a narrow, you know, can barely get in you shall walk in a wide place. That's, you shall walk in freedom. You shall walk in joy. You shall walk in fullness. You shall walk in delight. Why? Because you have sought the precepts of God. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them that you may live. He's not talking about just physical life. He's talking about shalom. The, the fullness of life that God has intended for you and I as his children. I'm sure James is just repeating his half-brother who said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus said that. There's, there's a joy. There is a satisfaction. There is a happiness that pours into our hearts. It will affect our marriages. It will affect your relationship with your children. It will affect your relationship with your parents. It will affect your relationships with your, your classmates, with your bosses, with your other employees, that there will, there will be a, 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 just a blessedness, a joy, a, a satisfaction, a peacefulness that comes from living in those relationships according to the Word of God. The last one, Matthew 7. 24 to 27, we're so familiar with these, but in the context of what James is saying, it, it kind of pulls them out a little bit to us. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, and Jesus is talking now about the, the Sermon on the Mount, which you can find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Why is that a wise thing to do? Well, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Well, why is that a dumb idea? Well, the rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Alistair Begg had this great little quote. When the word of God makes an impression... Others, when you hear the word of God. So when the word of God makes an impression, if it is not followed by an expression, obedience, then it inevitably leads to depression. It's a simple equation that James is leaving for us today. Hearing plus doing equals blessing. Oh, may God lead us into the path of blessing. Father, I thank you for your word today. 
And it is a challenging word, Father. It's, it's not an easy thing. And in fact, on our own strength, it's very hard for us to do. But as those who have been born again and made new of the Spirit of God living in us, you say that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You tell us that you have written your word upon our hearts. It's inside of us to guide us and direct us. Father, I pray that you would lead us, your people here today, into the joy and blessing of being not merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And Father, sometimes the blessing of being a doer is not found for months and even years down the road, but for some of us, we need to experience a little glimpse of that blessing now so we are encouraged in obedience. Thank you for your law. Thank you for your perfect law. Thank you that it is a law that liberates, not constricts. May we find that to be true in our hearts and lives today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.